A good afternoon and welcome once again to another edition of Cross Faith Bible Ministries Bible Studies. We're going to continue on in the book of Matthew in chapter 26, and today we'll be covering verses 26 through 35. And the title of today's lesson is going to be on the Last Supper and Peter's Denial. Now, before we jump into today's lesson, let's go back and review last week, um, what last week's lesson was on. Last week, we studied and we read about how Judas agrees to take a bribe from the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Now, he has not betrayed Jesus yet, but he was just meeting. There was a, The religious leaders were meeting at the high priest Caiaphas, his palace, and they were meeting secretly to see how they could entrap Jesus. And they offered to pay Judas 30 pieces of silver. We also learned last week about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we said that this event takes place on the 15th day of the month of what the Jews call Nisan or Aviv. Now, the day before the 15th, obviously, is the 14th. But the day before on the 14th is called the Passover, right? And we know that Jesus constantly spoke to his disciples about how he was going to go down to Jerusalem, how he was going to be betrayed, how he was going to be arrested, how he was going to be beaten, and eventually how he was going to be put to death. And we know that this is going to happen on the Passover. Why? Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. And Passover, we said, represents redemption, right? Just like the Israelites received redemption in Egypt by spreading the blood of the lambs on their doorpost, right? We too are redeemed by the blood of Jesus because he is the Lamb of God, like John the Baptist says. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, right? We also learn according to Jewish tradition and custom that a new day begins at sunset whereas our new day begins at midnight their new day begins at sunset so on the eve of passover right meaning the afternoon on the 13th the disciples went to jesus and they asked where do you want us to prepare this passover and prepare for the feast of unleavened bread, right? Because there was 12 of them, 13 with Jesus. And we said that the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted a week. It lasted seven days in Jerusalem. So they needed a large space that could accommodate all 13 of the men, right? And, and, and we also know this in Jewish culture, right? During Passover, men have spiritual leaders that they call teachers or rabbis, we had said, right? And the teacher or rabbi, what they would do during Passover is that they would teach their, their followers, so to speak, right? So, so whoever your teacher was or your rabbi was, you would go to them during Passover, just the men. And you would spend all day long, right, on the eve of Passover. And um, you would have what we know as what's called the Last Supper, right? Now, the Last Supper was basically the same feast. The same meal that you ate on the first day of unleavened bread with one exception. They didn't have the lamb, right? Why? Because the lamb was going to be slain the next day, right? So, so we see that in Jewish culture, right? The men would have spiritual leaders. And they would go to these spiritual leaders. And the spiritual leaders, the teacher or the rabbi, 
during the eve of Passover would, would present to them the, the Seder traditions, I guess, of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you might say, what is the Seder, right? The Seder is telling the story of the Exodus, right, to his followers. So in the next morning, those men can go back home and they can explain to their families what they learned the night before, right? The, the, the Seder customs, I guess, right, would include telling the story of the Exodus, right? In other words, discussing exactly what happened with the 10 plagues and with the angel of death and so forth. The same thing that we studied in Exodus chapter 12, right? It's also consists of the drinking of four cups of wine, which we're going to discuss in today's lessons, right? It's also, you also eat matzah is what they call it, right? Partaking of symbolic foods. And, and it's a relaxing time. It's a celebration, so forth, of, of freedom. So they relax, right? So this Seder is among the most commonly celebrated Jewish rituals, right? Performed by all Jews all over the world, even to this day, right? Also, we know this, that on the day of Passover, the Jews would fast, we learned last week, right? And that still goes on today as well. So before Passover would take place, right? They would have this last supper. And just like I said a few minutes ago, the meal was the same meal that they would fix on the first day of unleavened bread, but one exception. There was no lamb because the next day at a certain time, lambs would be sacrificed, right? And the same time those lambs were sacrificed, we know that Jesus was also sacrificed on the next day. Why? Because Jesus is our sacrifice lamb that came, right? He sacrificed himself to save the whole world, right? So again, today's lesson is on the Last Supper and Peter's denial. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 26, and we'll begin in verse 26. And this is what it says. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he broke a cup. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into the Galilee. Then Peter replied, If all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the disciples said 
the same. So let's go back to verse 26 and let's see exactly what's taking place in the scriptures today. Verse 26 states this, while they were eating. Now, this means the process of eating that last supper meal. That's what he talks about here. So while they were eating this last supper meal, look what the rest of the, rest of the scripture says. Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat it. This is my body. So he takes the bread. Now the bread right here is unleavened bread. He takes the bread and he's given thanks. So we see that Jesus is revealing here that he is the Messiah. And why do I say that? Because Jesus is the bread of life, right? See, he was sent by the Father to accomplish a mission. And that mission was to die on the cross at Calvary so the rest of the world can have an opportunity to be redeemed, right? So we can have a chance at eternal life in the eternal kingdom of heaven, amen? And look what he did. So he takes the bread, he gives it to his disciples. Now, gave, giving it to his disciples represents this that he's turning over all authority to his disciples. In other words, he wants them to go out into the world and to preach to the lost world, to the dark world, about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God and the goodness of our Father. He says, take and eat. Now, this means eating out of dependence, right? So what he's saying right here is, y'all all need me. See? We are dependent upon the Lord and upon the Lord's supper. Why? Because what it symbolizes, right? And he says, this is my body, right? In other words, this bread represents our dependence on receiving him. See, he was the Passover lamb. And just like the children of Israel, right? The Israelites, we can say, that we study in the book of Exodus, right? They kept the Passover blood, right? Remember how they were instructed to put the blood over or along the doorposts, right? Well, the same way they was instructed to do that, we are instructed to keep the Passover lamb and the blood of Jesus through who? Jesus Christ, right? The lamb of God, like John the Baptist says, he comes to take away the sins of the world, right? You see, just like the children of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, we too can come out of bondage of sin. And the only way to do that is by having a relationship with Jesus, by accepting Jesus Christ into your heart, by repenting of your sins, by making him your Lord and your Savior, right? Amen? Verse 27, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, we see in another gospel that we are told that this cup he partakes of this cup after the meal, right? Now, once again, Matthew, the writer here, is not as precise as other writers in other Gospels. Same thing like we learned last week, right? Just the other Gospels give more detail, right? So we know, according to other Gospels, that this cup that Jesus is drinking happened after supper. So let's go back and look at the text, look at the Scripture, right? It says that he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, this is important because there are four cups of wine that's used in the Seder ceremony, right? And they have great significance to the people 
that's going to take part in this meal, in this ceremony, right? Now, although the teacher or the rabbi, right, teaches his followers about the original Passover and the Passover Seder traditions, right? And they do that because the man needs to go back to their families the next day and teach their families about exactly what they learned, exactly about what happened at the first Exodus, right? Because of what they learned during this whole ceremony from their teacher, right? So we can say that this cup right here that Jesus is talking about, that he drinks after the meal, right, is the cup of redemption. So we say there's four cups. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification, which begins the observance, right, is the first cup. The second cup is called the cup of thanksgiving. The third cup, which we want right now, is called the cup of redemption, this is the cup that we're speaking of here, right? And the fourth cup that we're going to talk about in a few minutes is called the cup of praise. So he takes this cup and he says, drink from it, all of you. So he means right here, everyone. He means all of his disciples. Now understand this. He's also speaking to us because we too are his disciples. And he's telling us that we must drink from his cup. And why is that, you say? But look at verse 28, because he tells us, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, right? And we know that this new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness, right? A covenant where God promised to forgive our sins and remember them no more when we ask for forgiveness, when we repent of our sins, right? So it isn't a surprise right here on the eve of Passover, you can say, foreshadowing what he's going to do. He's going to give up his body. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to pour out his life during Passover at the time that the lambs were sacrificed, right? It speaks about redemption. That's what he's talking about here, right? Because the Passover represents what? The feast of redemption, right? And this word in the new covenant represents kingdom. Now, let me give you an example, right? The new covenant is a kingdom covenant, right? What do I mean by that? When John, the apostle John, in the book of Revelation, right? When we studied the book of Revelation, when he looked and he saw the new Jerusalem coming down from the heavens, right? What did he say? He said, behold, all things are new. So when he says a new covenant here, when Jesus is speaking about a new covenant, he's speaking about a kingdom covenant, we can say, right? Amen? And look when he says many, right? Now the new covenant is for all. It's, it's for everyone, this new covenant. But Jesus is telling us here that only a portion will receive it. That's why he uses the word many. Right? Let's go back to the verse. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. He says many because not all people will accept Jesus as the Messiah, will not repent of their sins, right? And why he says this, because you are forgiven of your sins if you ask. So this shouldn't surprise us, right? Because this new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness, right? It's the blood that speaks towards redemption. See, it's all about the blood of the lamb, right? 
And why is this so important? Because the atonement before Jesus came, it was the atonement of sins. The atonement, all it did was cover the sin. It didn't remove it, right? But when Jesus came on the cross at Calvary, in other words, redemption means it's removed. When you ask for forgiveness, when you seek the Lord in your heart, when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? He removes those sins. He erases it, right? In other words, he remembers your sins no more. You see, before Jesus came to earth in a human form, right? There was high priests. And the high priest once a year, it was his job to go into the Holy of Holies. And he would ask God to forgive the sins of the entire nation. So in order to get to God, you had to go through this high priest, right? But when Jesus came, and when Jesus took the pain and the suffering at Calvary on the cross that day, right? When he said, it is finished, the veil split in half, meaning this, that new covenant now was open for each and every one of us, right? Now we can go directly to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ leaves us an advocate. And an advocate is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Ghost, right? So we can seek God through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, amen, right? You see, if you accept the gospel message, if you believe in the body of Christ and the body of Jesus, right? That Jesus, right, forgives us of our sins. That Jesus died on the cross and on the third day he rose again, right? And you ask Jesus to come into your heart and you ask Jesus to forgive, that he takes all that away. Because you see, it's not by your work or my work. It's by his work, right? It's by what he did on that cross at, at Calvary. See, the work is already done, people. It's just, it's our, it's our chance right here, an opportunity that Jesus gives us that we need to seek him and have a personal relationship with him in order to ask for forgiveness, to repent. You see, that takes humility to do that. You can't be prideful because if you're prideful, you will never seek Jesus. You will never come to him and repent of your sins because you won't have a relationship with him because pride gets in the way. But humility, you see, when you have that character of Jesus, you have humility. And you're going to come to him boldly. And you're going to confess your sins to him, right? That's what he's saying right here. Because if you do that, then he remembers your sins no more. Hallelujah, right? Amen. Verse 29 says this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom, he says. Now, there's a phrase in here that says fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine here is speaking of the wine. Remember, there's four cups of wine during the Seder traditions, right, for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? And look what else he says, when I drink it with you. Now, the word with is very important because this signifies redemption here, right? You see, it's because of redemption that we can be with God, right? That we can be in his kingdom, right? See, the term Emmanuel means God with you. God is with us. And this refers to Jesus. So this is seen in Judaism as a redemptive name for Jesus, now, we also know that there's names. Jesus is called Yeshua. Jesus is called Savior, right? And that's all great names. Why? Because all these names represent that he is going to save us from our sins, that we can be redeemed, right? It's through redemption. 
It's through the shedding of the blood that he did on that cross, that he did on that tree. Now let's go back to the verse and look at it, what it says again. It says, I tell you, he says, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine or from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now remember, by tradition, there's four cups of wine, right? There's the cup of sanctification, as I said earlier. And this cup begins the ceremony, right? And the cup of sanctification, right, represents this, that we remember God and how God brought Israel out of slavery and the miracles that happened, that Messiah came through the lineage of David. So that's what the cup of sanctification represents. Then there's the cup of thanksgiving, right? And we all know this because we're all familiar with the cup of thanksgiving because this represents communion, the taking of the body of Christ, right? You are fellowshipping. You are in communion with Christ, with Jesus, with Yeshua, amen? Then there's the cup of redemption. And the cup of redemption is the third cup of the Passover Seder. And it's the first cup to be drank after the Passover meal. So the cup of re redemption traditionally signifies the slaying of the Passover lamb, right? And we're talking about that Passover lamb that spared the Israelites from the 10th plague by the slaying of the firstborn. If you remember, go back to the book of Exodus chapter 12, right? See, this cup traditionally remembers how the Lord redeems Israel with an outstretched arm, so to speak, you can say. Then the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And this is what we're speaking about here when he says, I will drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So what Jesus is saying is this, we will all honor, we will all praise God with Jesus in the new kingdom because it is through him and only him that we are redeemed. Amen? Verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, after they ate this meal, after they drank this fourth cup, they began to sing. That's part of the Seder tradition. And what they sing is Psalms 113 through 118 and Psalm 136, right? Because it consists of praises. It's, it's, it's hymns of praises, right? So what he's saying is this, that when they finish praising, when they finish singing, right? They left and they went to the Mount of Olives. Now we know that the Mount of Olives is very important at the end times because that's when Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and we know what happens. We know that that mountain splits in half, a valley is formed. It ushers in the millennial kingdom, right? That thousand year reign on earth that Jesus will reign and rule with us, the church with an iron fist, right? But he also represents that when he comes back, He's coming back to save that one-third, that remnant of the Jewish people that it came to faith in Messiah during the great tribulation period, right? So we see that the Mount of Olives plays a very, very important role in the last days. But more importantly than the first two I just mentioned, he's coming back. And he's not coming back. And when he lands on the Mount of Olives, he's not coming back to save. He did it the first time he came. 
When he comes back the second time, he's coming back to judge. He's coming back to condemn. He's coming back to do away with the evilness of this world as we know it, right? Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus tells them, tonight, he says, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. So what he's saying here is you're going to deny me. You're going to pull back from being my disciple. He goes on to say this, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now what he's quoting here is from the prophet, from the book of Zechariah, right? Because Zechariah predicted this, and this is what happened. He's saying that I'm the shepherd. He's saying that I'm the anointing one. And he's saying this, that I'm going to be arrested, that I'm the Passover lamb, right? That I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die. And when this happens, he says, when they arrest me, he said, you're all going to scatter. You're going to flee. You're going to fall and you're going to stumble from your faith. That's what he's saying. And Jesus is telling him, this is what's going to come. This is what's going to happen. You see, how many times, right? This message is for us too. Because how many times that we pull away from our faith? How many times that we scatter from Jesus, right? When things get tough. When we don't understand when we think that God's not working in our life, right? When fear sets in, we pull back from our faith. And we do like the rest of the world. We do just like these disciples. And they fear and they flee. God says, fear not, fear only me. He says it 365 times in the Bible. So that should tell us that we need not fear when God is on our side if we have true faith. Amen? Verse 32. But after I have risen, he said, I will go ahead of you in two. Galilee. So look at that first text, he says, but after I have risen. Now, obviously, he was raised from the dead by God the Father, right? So he's letting them know here that I'm going to die, but I'm also going to be raised from the grave. Because look what it says. But after I have risen. So he's letting them know, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise up. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, Galilee is an area of rolling mountains or rolling hills, right? So this word also means to reveal something, right? It's like unrolling a scroll, being able to, to look at it, to read it, right? In other words, you get revelation. So what Jesus is saying here is this. You can be assured what I'm saying is going to come true, that I'm going to be raised from the dead, and this implies that he's going to die. He will be that Passover lamb at the time that the lambs are slaughtered. Because we know that's exactly what happened. But then also he says this. But then I will go before you, right, into Galilee. Now, why Galilee? You said why he uses this word and why that place, right? Because this place was more likely native 
to most of all, if not all of his disciples, but mostly all of them, right? They were from the Galilee, right? So after Christ's resurrection, right? And we're going to study this coming up. There's women that went to the tomb. But when they got to the tomb, there was an angel of the Lord there, right? And he tells them he's not here. He's risen. And, and, and he's going to Galilee, right? So he ordered them to go into the Galilee. Were they going to expect to see him again? That's what he's letting them know here. That I'm going to rise and that I'm going to Galilee, right? And this verifies what he's saying right here with the women that go to the tomb. And they see the angel of the Lord because the angel of the Lord tells them exactly what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus is predicting what's going to happen, right? Now notice the next verse. Who has to speak, right? Who's the only one that ever speaks? You guessed it, it's Peter, right? Because Peter always speaks what's on his mind. Verse 33 says this, Peter replied, even if all fall away on the account of you, I never will. So Peter tells Jesus that he's totally committed to him, right? That he will never leave Jesus aside. But look what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Some of your Bibles might say disown me, right? Deny or disown me, right? So Jesus is telling him that before the night is over, in other words, before the sun rises, that's what the rooster represents, the cock crows, right? The cock crows where? Sunrise. He says, before sunrise comes up, right? Before the day starts, you going to have denied me three times. But look what Peter says in verse 35. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So you see Peter right here, he doesn't accept the words of Jesus or what Jesus is saying. So we can say right here, that Peter is doubting Jesus, right? How many times we doubt Jesus? So we just like Peter when we doubt, right? You see, all of the disciples right here declare that they would never leave him, right? That if they have to die, they're going to die with him, but they would never desert him. They will never leave his side. But we know it is that only a few hours later, <laughs> what happened? They all scattered because they feared. You see, the message is this, talk is cheap, right? It's easy to say that we committed 100% to Jesus. But what happens, right, when things get tough? What happens when things get difficult? What happens when we fear, right? What happens when, 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 it feel, when we feel or it looks like the world around us is falling apart? See, how strong is our faith then? You see, these disciples... At this time, when Jesus was arrested, which we're going to get to shortly, they, they feared their world was falling apart, right? Jesus got arrested. They knew what was going to happen. And because of this, they feared. And because they feared, they left Jesus aside. They fled. Now, the question I have for you is this. How many times do you turn your back on Jesus? How many times do you abandon Jesus? How many times do you lose faith in Jesus? 
How many times do you fear because you lack faith? Right? So we, we see here that Peter and all his disciples pledge never to leave Jesus' side, right? You see, no one thought that his disciples would deny him, right? But we know this, that a few hours later, they, they all did because their faith was weak. When their faith was tested, it was weak. How is your faith today? Is your faith weak or is your faith strong, right? What is your faith like today, right? See, will you stay with Jesus when things get tough, when you don't understand, when you fear? Because when you stay with Jesus, you trust in him. You believe in him, right? You're willing to do his will, not your will, right? Or, or are you going to fear? Because when you fear, you can't do the will of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus. You're not going to trust and believe and obey Jesus when you fear. Because when you fear, that comes from Satan himself. Satan wants you to fear because Satan feeds off your fear, right? See, the disciples, they scattered because they feared. But there's good news in all of this, people. See, if you feared in the past, you might fear again in the future, right? But you're going to be given another opportunity. Why I say that? Because this is what Jesus did with his disciples, right? See, although Jesus died on the third day he rose, Jesus came back to his disciples. Even though they left him, he knew they were going to leave him. But yet he tells them, I'm going to rise and I'm going to Galilee. He's telling them, I'm going to rise. I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to rise, but I'm going to meet you in Galilee so you can see me again. So everything I'm telling you is the truth. You see, Jesus never leaves us. That's the, that's the message here. No matter how many times we doubt, no matter how many times we turn our back on Jesus, Jesus never leaves our side. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, right? He will never abandon us, right? He's always there for us. He wants us to ask him back into our lives. So if you strayed away from Jesus, right? Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's because you doubt. Maybe it's because you're sinful. And you think that you don't deserve forgiveness. Jesus is right by your side. And he's softly knocking at the door of your heart. And he's saying, invite me into your heart. Because Jesus is never going to force himself on anybody. Jesus wants you to seek him out of love because he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. God did. The father, he gave Jesus, his son Jesus, to die for you on the cross. How awesome is that? That's love, right? Jesus knew you before you was even born. Jesus had a love for you that is undeniable, that, that you can't even explain before you were even born. He says, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb, he says, right? So today, seek Jesus for forgiveness. Today, no matter what you've been through in life, no matter if you turn your back on Jesus, Jesus is saying, I want to come back into your life. Invite Jesus into your heart and let him be the Lord of your life. Amen. And that ends our lesson for today. We'll be back next week, continuing on in the gospel of Matthew chapter 26. We really appreciate you all tuning in and listening. Go out and bless someone this week. We love you guys. God bless. Amen.